This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Here's why you should watch today's show and also tune into the podcast. Crypto is not dead. We'll bring you positive news from Brazil, Japan, and the metaverse. Plus, how to make Web3 more user-friendly? That's a big question. Also, we'll discuss this with Nick Johnson from ENS, Ethereum Name Service, and Alex Reap from Coinbase. I'm Paul Guerra, and Elaine Lee is with me today. How are you doing, Elaine? Um, I was doing okay, Paul, but a little bit of news just coming in that Kraken um, basically has just announced that it's axed 1,100 people from their workforce. That's a little bit um, at 30, well, not a little bit, it's 30% of their workforce uh, cut. So that's making the waves on Twitter timeline right now. Um, and, but it also, an other news poll, I uh, basically was on a little mission last night to get everyone in pro crypto to leisurely mint their NFTs. A lot of you are tweeting right now, I'm obviously here, so I can't reply to you, is that if you go onto Real Vision Pro Crypto videos, you will see a video with Ash Maritz and they will teach you how to mint your NFTs. A reminder that today is the last day to do it. Those of you who have done, congratulations. Those of you who've got back in, Welcome back. We're still early. Uh, just the, uh, another story that I picked up over on the Twitter timeline. And honestly, Paul, I basically have never read and said the word bottom so many times in my life. That's what's going on today. Oh, my. All right. <laughs> well, yes, you are early uh, to the RV crypto last day to mint. Don't forget to do it. And also very important, this episode of Crypto Daily Briefing is actually sponsored by the Crypto app. The Crypto app delivers everything you need to stay on top of the world of crypto and your own crypto holdings, including a market-leading price tracker, portfolio manager, analytics suite, and newsfeed, as well as a wide array of customizable alerts and widgets to help you keep up with everything happening in the markets. Crypto moves fast, so don't be left behind. The Crypto app is the market's leading app for all things crypto. Download the Crypto app today on Google Play or the iOS App Store. Now, let's jump into the latest price action link, shall we? Yeah, go for it. All right, so we're seeing the cryptocurrency market continue to recover. The total crypto market cap is up by 2% to around $850 billion, And Bitcoin is up 3% on a 24-hour basis. Here's a chart that you can look. And it very briefly went above 17000 before falling back. And you know, we actually haven't been seeing Bitcoin consistently above 17, the 17 mark for around three weeks now. So obviously investors remain a little tense about what's going to happen next. Elaine, what's about what happening with Ether? And also I think there's something happening with Mr. Powell. 
Yeah, so he's speaking a little bit, uh, well, he's speaking today, I'm not sure what time. That is a Real Vision um, daily briefing that, uh, where they would discuss more in detail over there. But of course, um, we have to talk a little bit about Ethereum. I woke up this morning with a bunch of messages on my phone going, this is the bottom, right? Are we at the bottom? Nobody can answer that. If anybody can answer that, trust me, somebody would have warned me about crypto winter back in June. Look, for a second straight day, Ether is firmly on the green and it's currently up by a handsome five percent and changing hands at around one uh, uh one thousand two hundred and sixty a little bit about that that's the highest price in about three weeks paul that's right and i believe that matic also that's ethereum related also added four percent during the last 24 hours so the ethereum ecosystem has seen some growth during the last days thank you so much elaine and the theme today actually is that crypto is not dead F the dumb and gloom. We're not falling for that. So today is a good show, positive, good, and plenty of good stories to share. Today. I like the energy, Paul. I like the energy, yeah, Paul. Keep it spicy. Let's, let's, Put the Latina in it. Yeah. Enough of negativity. <laughs> it's December. Or, We're no, over March. it. We're over yeah. it. Yeah, let's be happy today, you know? So the first one comes from Brazil, which is about to legalize cryptocurrency payments. And we heard this during the last year about the e-commerce giant Mercado Libre. For those of you who don't know, Mercado Libre is some sort of like an eBay or Amazon's a mishmash of both. And it's giant in Latin America, especially in Brazil. And last year they were starting to adopt Bitcoin and a crypto trading platform to onboard and they made crypto available to 1 million Brazilian users. Then they launched their own native Mercado coin and now they are announcing this in Brazil. So Elaine, is that basically like a copy paste or the same thing that happened in El Salvador? What's happening in Brazil? So not quite, Paul, uh, because I read from our friends at the De uh, Decrypt that this is like the next best thing, okay? So unlike El Salvador, crypto has not become the legal tender in Brazil. That means it doesn't have to be accepted as a method of settling debts. Nevertheless, virtual currencies uh, will now be included in the definition of payment agreements under the supervision of the country's central bank. Now that gives them the legal status as payments for goods and services. The move is... It's like giving a, an extra regulatory boost, so to speak, to the adoption of digital currencies and the expansion to the whole ecosystem, right? So Decrypt says that the bill has been approved by the lower end of the House of Brazil's Congress. It will become law once the president signs it. So a crypto-friendly wow. country overall, yeah. Yeah, that's bullish news for the biggest country in Latin America and I believe for the entire region, which, you know, has already been quite crypto-friendly. I'm speaking of Brazil with a lot of crypto investment products on offer. And oh, actually, I think we could see some positive adoption contagion in the region. And my guess is that countries like Paraguay or even Argentina will be the next to start implementing crypto legislation. We also have news from Mexico. Panama was trying to do the same thing. So we mm -hmm. shall see. I, as a South American, believe that it will be huge in the region. So anyway, the positive news doesn't end there. What's next, Elaine? Um, so we're going to pivot over to uh, Asia. Um, so a bit more positive news we like to sprinkle into the show is that Binance is getting into the lead, uh, getting into the land of the rising sun, I should say. The company has announced that it bought Japan's Sakura Exchange Bitcoin. This is notable because that exchange is regulated. Oh my Lord Jesus, is regulated by Japan's Financial Services Agency. So the move will allow Binance to enter the Japanese market as a regulated entity. That's important. 
That is huge. And I really admire the grit that CZ has during these times. He just keeps building and building and building. So that's He's admirable. He's packing it's... up country after country for Yeah, <laughs> it's great. Like... like, why not? Like, let's let's keep at it. Um, of course, it's not an endorsement of Binance, but that's my personal opinion. And it's good news for Binance as Japan's FSA was one of several regulatory bodies that last year issued warnings that actually Binance was not licensed to operate in its market. So what CZ plan? All right, let's buy an exchange. And now that's changing. So anyway, the good news doesn't stop there. We have more. Here's another one, actually. We're jumping now to gaming, metaverse, and the whole Web3 thing. So you know, Yatsu, the co-founder and executive chairman of Animoca Brands, actually, by the way, uh, he spoke recently with Raul Pal and Raul's Adventures in Crypto. You can check it out for free on Real Vision Crypto. And you know, the Hong Kong-based blockchain gaming group has revealed in an interview with Nikkei Asia that Animoca is launching a new fund called Animoca Capital. And the plan is to invest as much, hear me out, $2 billion in metaverse projects. CEO says that the first investment will be made next year. Elaine, as a resident NFT guru, and I hope a former paper-handed PFP princess, this hey. was expected, right? <laughs> Look, Yatsu, what a character. I swear to God, I, I think the man is just a hologram at the moment because he seems to be in San Francisco and then in Asia, then university lecture. He is literally someone everywhere to basically tell the world the metaverse is here to stay and the grounds and foundations need to be built. Uh, right now. Look for not so much of a guru, clearly, if I paid the hand in my own uh, company's our, uh, NFT, but just like any other degenerate out there, right? Sniffing out for the next big thing. Gaming is one of the biggest components to crypto mass adoption, but it's the allocation of funding that will be distributed to the metaverse project. That's the exciting part because there is a clear message to the gamers here who are building. Look, if you have a game that's ready to deliver with strong IP, strong community, keep bloody going because from the consumer side if i am incentivized for something that i spend so much time on right hell i believe in a game where i am rewarded if i can be uh watching countless of hours of whatever's on netflix and my career dramas you know the play to earn the watch to earn the sing to earn let me know man your girl is ready to to, to get incentivized if i'm giving the time to it what sing to earn that's new i've never heard that before is that a thing i swear to god paul that my mom uses like a sing to earn on her wechat app i told her about it the other day right she doesn't really you know grasp the whole crypto industry that i'm in but she's like no 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 sing to earn points and convert it i'm already all over that elaine and i just looked at her like really did this just happen right in front of my anyway God. Well, that's amazing all of us frustrated singers i'm speaking for myself that's our dream made true we're going to make a living now by singing and not only in the shower so that's cool and actually i personal opinion again i actually believe that gaming is that trojan horse that will bring you know crypto to the mainstream that's at least my oh, yeah. opinion how i see it so that's huge news let's go to the next one Coindesk, one of the most popular crypto news sources in the world, which obviously features a lot on this show as well, is apparently attracting potential buyers, Elaine. So what's the context here? Look, I live and breathe Coindesk, right? Being in this industry, talking about the crypto space hours upon hours. So this is all basically linked to Coindesk's owner, which is DCG, the digital currency group you guys have been talking about on Twitter. It's a huge crypto conglomerate that owns subsidiaries such as Genesis, Grayscale, 
and Coindesk. Um, but now we know that Genesis is the lending arm of DCG's empire is experiencing financial difficulties. So for some investors, that means it's a good time to ask about well, DCG's other businesses. And according to sources, speaking to the news platform Semaphore, I've never actually heard of that platform, but I hope I'm pronouncing it right. DCG was offered about $300 million for Coindesk, but the offer was rejected because it was too low. So Semaphore says Coindesk was making about $50 million in annual revenue um, from a mix of online advertising and its popular consensus conference, which we was um, in, in the summer where they brought all the industry leaders to Austin, Texas. All right. Well, crazy idea here. All the RV Pro crypto members, let's create a DAO and let's buy Coindesk. But well, that's maybe a crazy thought for a future episode. We'll keep out on that. Uh, all right, moving on. Visionary, uh, visionary perspective for sure. For sure. Yeah, that would be, well, imagine like a huge company owned by a DAO. That would be awesome. Well, it will be interesting to see if anything comes out of it. That's for sure. But let's move on to our, you know, before doing that, actually, we have, we can't forget about the man of the hour, not for good reasons, of course, SBF. We cannot forget about his latest interview. So Sam Bankman-Free, the former FTX CEO, gave a phone interview. Yeah, a phone interview to YouTuber Tiffany Fong on November 16th. This is two weeks ago. But now this interview has been posted in two parts on YouTube. And one of the biggest revelations is that SBF's claim about political donations, Elaine. We know he was one of the most prominent backers of the Democrats and the Democratic lawmakers. But in the interview, SBF says that he also donated to Republicans quote, about the same amount of money. And the donations were apparently dark money to avoid scrutiny. Dark money refers to funds raised for the purpose of influencing elections by nonprofit organizations. And actually the thing about these ones is that they are not required to disclose the identities of their donors. A little trick in there. So SVF says he did so because the media would, and I'm quoting here, freak the fuck out. So if they knew he was also donating to Republicans, uh, Elaine, is there anything here, anything else that stood out for you? Uh, a couple of things here, Paul. Look, he says he didn't build a backdoor between FTX and Alameda to use user funds because he says he doesn't know how to code. Crypto Codex points out Reuters reporting says um, it was FTX uh, executive Gary Wang who built the backdoor. SPF also continues to assert that filing for bankruptcy was a big mistake and that investments came through minutes later, which was enough to make users whole. Now, users will only get back, quote, like 25 cents for every dollar held on the platform. Finally, SBF says he's narrowed down the number of people possibly responsible for that exploit that we've spoken about last week, $600 million funneled out of FTX to about eight people. Obviously, with SBF, you have to take those statements with a grain of salt. Thank you, Elaine. And let's move on to our main interview. When centralized meets decentralized, that's the eternal question. Can we trust our funds and our crypto assets to a centralized entity? Does that contradict the whole purpose of blockchain and its core principles? So we'll see. 
Recently, we reported that Coinbase actually was linking up with ENS. For those of you who does who don't know, ENS is actually the Ethereum name service. It is actually to simplify wallet addresses for Coinbase users, not only for Coinbase users, but in this case, they had an integration with Coinbase. And this is a part of a wider effort to make Web3 more user-friendly, which had, we have been saying in the show for forever, and in RV Crypto, we need to make the Web3 space and crypto space way friendlier. The UX has to improve if we want to onboard more people. So our own Ash Bennington spoke with ENS co-founder and lead developer Nick Johnson and the head of identity product of management at Coinbase. Let's take a listen. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Nick, Alex, welcome to Real Vision. Pleasure to Thank be you. here. Well, it's a pleasure to have both of you guys here to talk a little bit about ENS uh, and to talk about the integration of ENS functionality into Coinbase. This is a project that I'm excited about. I actually registered uh, ashbennington.eth over a year ago. Uh, so it's a project that I'm familiar with because I think it's just a really interesting way of uh, solving some of the kind of UI, UX issues in this space. Nick, give us a little bit of the background, the context on this project, and how you became involved with it. Uh, sure, yeah. I first joined the Ethereum space in 2016. Uh, in fact, my my first day at the Ethereum Foundation was the Monday after the DAO hack, so that made for a really exciting first few days. Um, but one of the first things that I noticed was the, the UX was frankly kind of terrible, you know, and this is something that had been the case since Bitcoin launched and nobody had really come up with a particularly satisfactory solution but I could see we needed a better way to name accounts. And so I started working on what became ENS pretty much concurrently with joining the Ethereum ecosystem. Uh, and it, it soon became apparent that its applicability was much wider than just accounts, that it applied equally to, uh, you know, to naming uh, profiles and, and people's social media presences, to identifying websites and so forth. Uh, and so ENS has sort of expanded uh, from, you know, that sort of initial fairly narrow but extensible focus to uh, what it is today. So for people who may not know, what is it today, Nick? What does it do uh, and what purpose does it serve? So ENS today uh, is effectively it is Web3's naming protocol. So it makes it possible for you to name any de decentralized resource. You can name your Ethereum account. You can name any other uh, cryptocurrency account, you can name a decentralized website on uh, content stores like IPFS and Swarm and Arweave. Uh, you can use it as your portable Web3 profile. So you sign into a site, it automatically identifies you as your ENS name with your avatar. Uh, and it's all based on a decentralized architecture based on Ethereum smart contracts. And so for those who may not uh, be familiar with the actual functioning here, uh, for example, uh, an Ethereum address uh, looks like a long string of alphanumeric characters. Uh, it's, it's very cumbersome to use. And switching that out, for example, to your name or your company's name can make the interface much easier. And also, it's important to point out, uh, less prone to error. You know, we're having this conversation here on November 16th. 
There was a report uh, that uh, Crypto.com, uh, during this period that we've been going through, uh, accidentally uh, sent $400 million to the wrong address uh, because of these types of interface issues. And it really has been a challenge for the space, Nick. Yes, absolutely. And and that's a perfect example of where an ENS name would have really helped. Uh, even to expert users, the, you know, uh, um, a cryptographic identifier is opaque. You know, it's it's difficult to know the difference between one and another uh, at first glance unless you're dealing with the same one every day. Whereas an ENS name immediately tells you what you're looking at. Okay, Alex, jump in. The interesting thing about this to me uh, is this world of Web three uh, integrating here uh, with obviously a very large publicly held exchange. Talk a little bit about what you guys uh, over at Coinbase were thinking as this project spun up, and how you began the thoughts of beginning to integrate functionality for your users. For sure. So, building on much of the good work that Nick and his team have done, we saw an opportunity to make the ENS protocol more accessible. And so ENS, Ash, as you said, can allow you to claim .eth names throughout the ecosystem. The challenge we saw is that for quote unquote mass adoption, that is a fairly technically complicated process to go through. You need to have a non-custodial wallet and you need to go to the ENS site, you need to pay gas fees, and you need to have a generally a reasonable level of familiarity with Web3 infrastructure. And so with Coinbase being the, as we see it, the on-ramp to the crypto ecosystem, we saw an opportunity to make that a dead simple process for your average user that just wants to get set up with a username. And so this uses a, a technology that Nick and his team have developed, uh, which effectively means that Coinbase will allow you to claim what are called .cb.id names. So for example, alex.cb.id we will resolve those names to an ENS name. And so for the user, what that means is you can come to Coinbase Wallet, you can claim alex.cb.id or ash.cb.id, you can claim it for free, and that will integrate with ENS's protocol such that the user doesn't have to pay any gas fees and it's completely free and it can be set up within a couple of clicks. And so you still get the same level of utility. You can still send and receive crypto to that address, but you don't have to go through the more complicated steps of claiming a .eth name directly. So let's talk a little bit about how this works uh, at a very high level. Obviously, we don't want to, to get too much into the code here, but give us a little bit of a sense of how this whole process works. There's three different parts to this. The first part is that Coinbase has a domain, which is .cb.id. That domain maps to an ENS, so that's an L1 ENS. We then host a resolver on the Coinbase side, which allows users to claim what's called a subdomain. Think of this like a, almost like a Web2 subdomain in some ways, where you will have subdomain.domain.com. Same paradigm here, where Coinbase hosts a resolver. You will come to Coinbase and claim the name that you want. We'll keep a record that says Ash owns ash.cp.id. So it's almost like a layer two. And then that will connect to ENS, which is the layer one that hosts the .cp.id component. So it's off-chain on our side, and we're ultimately looking to try and decentralize that more. Uh, but we essentially front load that work on the Coinbase side to make it simpler and, and free for users to claim. 
You know, one of the interesting things about the crypto space, I think, is how there are folks here uh, with very strong backgrounds in computer science and also people uh, who have come to us sort of from the financial services uh, or finance side. Uh, this is analogous in many ways uh, to domain name servers. Talk a little bit, uh, Nick, about the, the inspiration that that provided. And I should give a little bit of a context. You know, when you type in uh, realvision.com, uh, there's a domain name server in the background that resolves that name into the IP address so that your computer can find the server. This, in some ways, is metaphorically similar to that. Yes, and uh, internet infrastructure has long been a, a core interest of mine. Uh, and so the, the very first version of ENS was actually very closely uh, mirroring uh, DNS's structure. Uh, it became a quickly apparent that there were better ways to architect things in the Ethereum world, you know, things that suited its unique technical trade-offs better. Uh, but the the basic fundamentals of DNS around extensibility, around, uh, you know, building systems that are future-proof has remained. And that's a, a definite sort of core inspiration for ENS infrastructure. What's the role of the token uh, in ENS? I know that the day that I should probably disclose, I, I got a token drop because I registered uh, prior uh, to the token drop. And I, I remember the night that I got my ENS tokens. I went to uh, to a party where there were lots of financial journalists there. And I remember uh, standing in a circle with two or three of them. These were very seasoned financial reporters uh, who told me, you know, this whole ENS thing, they must be just giving you the tokens because they know you're a reporter. They know you're an influencer. They're handing them to you so that you go on uh, your show and you talk about it. I was like, no, no, guys, that's not the way it works. People who are registered uh, any domain name uh, actually got these tokens dropped to them. Uh, but tell us a little bit about the token, how it works and what the role is that it plays. Sure. So, uh, when ENS launched back in 2017, uh, there were certain pieces of functionality that uh, needed some sort of administrative control over. So that's things like upgrading the small, uh, the core smart contracts, changing how names are priced, uh, introducing new top-level domains like DNS support and so forth. Um, and initially, our solution was we we sourced uh, key holders from. Uh, throughout the community, unlike many projects, multi-sigs, this wasn't merely a, uh, you know, protect against compromise thing. This was an, an attempt to be, you know, as decentralized as we could. And so the key holders were independent parties. Um, and it was their job to approve and sign any changes to the, the ENS route, the, the fundamental components of ENS's infrastructure. Um, but we always saw that as an intermediate step, and we always wanted to decentralize to the greatest degree possible. So... Uh, come 2021, we we believed that the state of the art with DAOs had advanced far enough and that ENS itself had sort of solidified enough that we felt confident in decentralizing control further. So the token uh, we gave out to ENS users, uh, you know, in proportion uh, as best we could to, to how involved they were, uh, rather than just how many names they'd registered or, or whatnot. And the intention there was to give these people a voice in how the system was run, both how fundamental uh, you know, core parameters were, were adjusted and, and upgrades were done, and also in how the funds that were collected from registration and renewal fees were, were spent. We've been talking here about user interface issues, user experience issues, about simplifying the space, about making crypto more accessible to a broader audience. I was curious, uh, both of you guys, what do you think uh, we are, where do you think we are right now in this process? What are the next steps and what are you guys excited about uh, in terms of being able to increase the, uh, the ease of use for users going forward? Uh, first over to you, Nick. 
Uh, it's a really good question. And I think, uh, you know, one of the things I'm most excited about is what we've been talking about here with the Coinbase integration. And that is the ability to to uh, allocate names to people uh, without any on-chain transactions on Ethereum. Uh, because, you know, as long as there's a transaction, you have this minimum cost. You know, it's always going to cost you, you know, a buck at, at good times and, and you know, uh, who knows how much at, at bad times with gas fees. Um, but now that we can move this off-chain, we can move it on to an L2, we can move it on to, to pretty much any external system, depending on what sort of trade-offs you're happy with. Uh, it makes it possible for us to issue names to, you know, millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people, um, which expands the scope and the reach of ENS immensely. And and one of our goals, our sort of our medium-term goal in ENS has always been that uh, cryptocurrency users shouldn't have to see uh, cryptocurrency addresses any more than web users have to see IP addresses. And this puts us one step closer to that. Alex, how about you? I know you guys at Coinbase must be working on a whole series of different initiatives uh, to simplify the user experience, to bring more people in. What's interesting about this is that you're partnering with a true Web3 project uh, to do it. Tell us a little bit about what else you're thinking about uh, and what are the other challenges that you see in the space that you feel need to be met in order to increase uh, the the number of people who feel comfortable transacting in the space? Yeah, it's a great question. So I, I think plus one on a lot of what Nick touched on there, where it's easy for us that are deeper in Web3 to think, oh, you know, eight bucks to claim an ENS name, that's fine. But the reality is for most people, that's not fine. And so I think making it free and making it incredibly simple is, is the core part for at least the username layer. I think there's more to the equation than that, though. So this gets a little bit, of course, beyond ENS, but... Some other examples of the problems to solve here are that it's very, uh, you know, it's a very unforgiving space. You know, the idea that if you lose your seed phrase, you can lose your livelihood, it's not really tenable if you're trying to scale this to billions of people. And so I think there's a spectrum of different things that need to be built out to make Web3 accessible to billions, but particularly within the identity space. So things like social recovery are a good example of how you can make things more forgiving. For, for folks who may not know, Alex, tell us what social recovery is. Uh, social recovery is the concept that uh, instead of needing to custody my keys with a single party because I'm worried about losing them, I can nominate certain trusted people to help me get back in. So for example, uh, let's say that when I set up a wallet, I can say, you know what, I'm going to let Ash and Nick be the people that give me the thumbs up to recover access if I lose my recovery phrase. And so that's an example of starting to decentralize some things which are centralized today. So as an example for a Coinbase account, I'm talking a Coinbase custodial account. If you want to recover access, you upload your photo ID. And that probably won't work for a non-custodial wallet because you need some kind of centralized process which will review that ID and let you back in. And so things like social recovery is it's just one example. There's other ones like uh, MPC, multi-party computing wallets, and, and different ways of doing this. But I think the point is that it needs to be more forgiving. Then the other piece, which we haven't touched on yet, is uh, the idea of creating the trust layer. So that's, okay, I know that you're ash.eth or ash.cb.ib. How do I know that you are trustworthy? How do I know that you are, in fact, the real Ash? And so that part, you're starting to hear bits about soulbound NFTs and verifiable credentials. That's another interesting spectrum of, of uh, work that I think needs to be built out. And it's incredibly relevant right now with some of the challenges that they're having over at Twitter uh, with this new regime that they're in for verifying accounts. Yeah, exactly. I think, uh, I mean, 
they're doing their best. It's a hard problem to solve. And I think it's clear that there needs to be some kind of manual verification process here to ensure that people are who they say they are. But right now that's a, you know, that's a problem in web two. It's also a problem in, in web three that I think hasn't, hasn't been solved yet. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, Nick, as we look forward uh, into the perhaps slightly more distant future, what are some of the other things that you think can be done to potentially improve the user experience, uh, user interface in this space, reduce some of the errors uh, and to enhance trust? I think, you know, echoing what Alex said about, uh, you know, attestations and, and, you know, verifying people's identity is a really important uh, step forward. Uh, in fact, uh, one of our own team members, uh, Jeff Lau, recently published his idea of how we could do a decentralized Twitter blue tick type system using ENS. Uh, I think also just, you know, getting ENS rolled out so it's, it's ubiquitous not just for name resolution, but for showing profiles and so on, makes it easier to identify that you're dealing with the same person across multiple platforms. You know, whereas today, even in traditional social media platforms, just because somebody is, you know, Nick Nick Johnson on Twitter doesn't mean I'm Nick Johnson on Mastodon or Facebook or or anywhere else. And so unless you have these explicit links to follow, it's it's very easy to to be fooled into, you know, uh, imposter accounts and so forth. Alex, we were talking a little bit off camera about this sort of term of art that we use in this space, identity. What does identity mean to you uh, and how does Coinbase think about it? So I think identity is actually very similar across Web 2 and Web 3. It's the same core principles, the differences in how you solve it. So in my mind, there's, there's three parts to this. So there's representation, like your profile, your username, representing who you are. The second part is access. So that's proving that you are who you say you are. So in Web 2, that's username, password, 2FA. In Web 3, that's seed phrase. It's signing with your wallet. And of course, other paradigms that would be built out there. And the third part is authorization. So that's based on who you are, what are you allowed to do? And so an example of that in the Web 2 world is perhaps you have uploaded your ID to a centralized exchange, so you're allowed to trade crypto. In the Web3 world, perhaps it's that you have a certain NFT, so you're allowed to access a a particular community. And so those three parts of representation, access, and authorization encompass identity. A lot of what we've spoken about with Nick here has been the representation of you parts, so your usernames, and then obviously access. We touched on social recovery a little bit. We didn't talk a lot about authorization, but Nick had mentioned attestations in there. And that's an example of how another party can attest to the legitimacy of someone such that they can do certain things. So Ash, hopefully that that answers the question. Yeah. And to to unpack that a little bit more, how do you think about authorization? Is authorization effectively a, a kind of access control framework or do you think about it differently? I think that's exactly right. Yeah. It's a way of governing based on who you are. What are you allowed to do? Uh, what are you allowed to see? What actions can you take? And so th- there are examples of this in Web3 today where you, know, you have a uh, particular NFT and you might be allowed access to a certain event. I think we see that often in the NFT community, but that's just a very nascent version of that. You could see many other applications of this where you know, perhaps you have to have 
certain credentials, certain things in your wallet to do certain actions and certain applications. And so the, the possibilities are endless, but the point is that you can enrich someone's identity with endorsements from other parties. Yeah, and in many ways, this is a very sort of natural trajectory from what we've seen in the space going back to Web1. Uh, in the 1990s, you set up a, a username and password uniquely for every account. Uh, in the Web2 world, maybe you log in uh, with Google or Facebook or your Apple account. Uh, and now we're moving more toward this decentralized, uh, tokenized universe that uses some of these key Web3 concepts. Uh, Nick, how do you think about identity and how does that play into the framework that you apply as you look out uh, from ENS? I think uh, a lot of people, when they talk about identity, they immediately think about real-world identity because the most familiar applications are, here is my driver's license, here is my passport, this is who I am. And there's kind of a whole, you know, falsehoods programmers believe about identity type thing in here because people are like, you know, their naive assumption is people only have one identity. They have the same identity across all platforms. They, uh, you know, their, their identity is attested by the government. The name is the same across all of them, even, you know, down to the spelling and the, the accented characters and so on used. And, and pretty much every one of those and, and many other assumptions are false. So I think one challenge here is is getting people to understand what we mean by identity and that, that an identity can be much broader than that. And, you know, at its core, it is... Um, you know, this is a, a coherent bundle of, you know, of things associated with one person, the broadest possible term for person. Um, and, and this is how they, they consistently identify themselves to the, you know, to the world and prove that it's them acting each time. Um, and, you know, in a, in a Web3 pseudonymous world, an identity may not even identify a single unique person. You know, we see identifiers that are used for groups as well. So... On the one hand, it's quite simple technically. You know, you, you this just this is the identifier that represents this you know cluster of things. On the other hand, it can be kind of complicated socially just to make that distinction and, and make it easy for users to to understand, uh, you know, what the actual constraints are here. Hey, I should finally say, just to change gears here a little bit, uh, we're filming here on uh, Tuesday, November 15, obviously in the immediate wake of the FTX bankruptcy. Lots of things happening in this space. Uh, does this impact your roadmap? Uh, what's the sort of the fallout for this uh, in terms of the way that you guys are looking at the world? Uh, Alex? So I think for the identity space at Coinbase, it really just underscores the importance of trust and the importance of making sure that our customers feel safe. And so Coinbase, of course, backs assets one-to-one as I think has been shared out pretty publicly at this point. Uh, but people obviously spooked. And it's pretty understandable that people are spooked by the concept of a centralized exchange uh, becoming bankrupt and insolvent. And, and so I think any experience that someone has with the product where perhaps they can't sign in, perhaps there's some issue that they're not expecting is magnified. And so for, for my team and the identity team at Coinbase, we're very focused on just making sure things work incredibly well and that there's nothing that might you know, further accentuate how people are feeling about the current climate. And so I feel very good about where Coinbase is positioned, uh, but I, I do think it's a really important time to make sure people feel, you know, I mean, it's always an important time, but it's a particularly sensitive time with making sure that people feel mm -hmm. safe and secure. Well, it's nice to take a break from the gloom and doom here for a minute and to talk about people who are actually building stuff uh, and building out infrastructure and working on improving the space. Uh, Nick, how about you? Any implications for the FTX bankruptcy uh, in the way that you think about things from your seat uh, at ENS? Uh, I, I think it, it further emphasizes the need for us to 
to clearly convey to people that what we're building is an alternative to all of that. You know that that this is a demonstration not of uh, of issues in crypto, but that uh, you know trusting centralized actors to to work on your best behalf is very much a second choice when you have self custody and you have the opportunity to to be self you know have self sovereign identity and self sovereign accounts uh, as your first uh, and primary option. And I think. You know, it sort of redoubles our need to focus on making those things as usable as the sometimes easier centralized options are. Plus one on what um, on what Nick said. I think the other thing that's underscored for me on a, a personal level is that you either trust a centralized and very audited exchange. I personally custody in Coinbase because I trust Coinbase more than I trust myself with my crypto steel capsule. But if you are going to self-custody, I think it underscores exactly what Nick said, which is that this has to be really easy for everyone to use. And that needs to be a viable alternative to the, the centralized exchange. It's also kind of cool to see you guys working together. It's like this many, often it's set up as this sort of opposition uh, between uh, centralized and decentralized entities. So you have on, you know, on the one hand, obviously a, a, a public corporation that's highly regulated here in the US. You have a Web3 uh, organization. Uh, t- what was that like? Tell us a little bit about, uh, were there people who said kind of like, you're working with him? Kind of. <laughs> you want to start, Nick? Sure. Uh, so, I mean, ENS uh, has always actually focused on on expanding and building. Uh, you know, that there's there are a lot of organizations who who seem to want to to reinvent the wheel from scratch and pretend that you know everything before Web three didn't exist. And I feel like often that just results in making the same mistakes afresh. Um, so so ENS has always been very focused on on incrementalism effectively, you know, building yeah. new systems that build upon the old ones. So for us, it wasn't really a stretch at all, you know, that, that we're, we work with anyone who is in good faith trying to improve the ecosystem and make it easier for users and better for users. And Coinbase absolutely fits into that box. I think uh, to build on what Nick said, uh, in addition to the ENS team just being great to work with, we've been thinking about the concept of decentralized identity for a long time. Hmm. But it's a really hard problem to solve because it's not clear what the quote-unquote winner is going to be. With identity, it needs to be a utility layer. So we can't just have these compartmentalized ecosystems like we do in Web2. Otherwise, we're just recreating the same thing. And so as we saw ENS start to rise to the point where it is today, it became obvious that where we could add value is helping scale ENS, not creating a new standalone system. And so we were very like delighted to partner with Nick and team uh, in helping that become more of a utility rather than trying to create a separate ecosystem. Guys, great conversation. Really interesting stuff we've covered here today. I want to give you each a choice, chance to give some final thoughts. Nick, first over to you, final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave our viewers with. Uh, I guess just the the importance of uh, of usability in Web3 and the fact that it doesn't have to be a trade-off between using a centralized service that's more usable or a, a decentralized service that uh, is more, you know, secure or or has fewer trusted parties. You know, we can build the best of, of all worlds, um, and we can build a system that that builds upon existing technologies and and enhances them and improves them unambiguously. Uh, and that you know that's what we're building. Uh, and and you know we'd like you to join us. Alex, final thoughts, key takeaways. 
Nick said it really well. I think we have a really unique opportunity to build the best of both worlds. So the usability, the seamlessness, the polished nature of Web2, but building that in a trustless and decentralized way where you as a user are empowered to custody your own assets, to access things seamlessly and to have that truly trustless ecosystem. And so there's a lot of work to be done to get there, but that I think is the, the shared vision in this space for us. Alex, Nick, again, great conversation. Thank you both for joining us. Pleasure. Thanks for having us. Thanks for watching, everyone. Once again, another fantastic conversation in the books for the Crypto Daily Briefing. And here are my key takeaways. First, ENS was built in 2017 out of the need to improve the user experience in the crypto space. Now, that same logic has to be applied to the entire industry as a whole if we want to onboard the next billion users during this decade. You know, 2030, that's the goal. Second, Coinbase has realized that this need and they are actually doing some investments and they are trying to make crypto more accessible to users. So for doing that, they're implementing the following. First, as we said during the entire piece, they're incorporating ENS into their platform to improve the user experience and the user interface, making it easier so people won't lost when lose funds, like it happened actually with some big companies that I lost $400 million. Second, they're implementing social recovery. What is social recovery? So it is like a sort of a two-factor authentication with third parties. Why? Because we want to make it more forgiving to recover wallet access in case, God forbid, you lose the access to your seed phrase. So making it more forgiving for users. And third, of course, if we're going to be giving those permissions, we need a trust layer. And that is a way to know that the people you're interacting with, the first, they are who they say they are. And secondly, they are trustworthy. And the third takeaway is actually identity. Identity will play a huge and a key role during Web3. And authorization is a key concept that will allow you to have certain roles and limitations on things you can do and not do. And all of that will be depending on which tokens do you hold or the place that you hold in a certain community. So it will be, again, based on not status, but mostly trust and how good you are to a certain community. So in a nutshell, if I can just sum up this whole conversation, the main takeaway is that there's a lot of work to be done by the entire space. People need to feel safe in the crypto space if the entire industry wants to onboard billions of users during the next year. So lots of work to be done. People need to be and feel safe. Elaine? All right, Paul, talking about an airdrop season, right? Our community uh, member, Miss Moneypenny, just uh, slide into my DMs. So basically, she's brought to my attention, and I do know that it's actually a little bit of buzz on Twitter right now. Uniswap, if you've been using it before April, I believe, uh, Jenny XYZ, which is their NFT uh, marketplace, might be coming in with a little stimmy for you because check it out all on Twitter. They say that you might be qualified uh, for a drop. So this is coming out. You should check it out online to see if you're qualified for it. And if you've been using it, then you might have something coming in for you. All right. So um, talking about ENS though, look, minting my two ENS domains, Paul, was one of the most awesome things that happened to me in my code. Because uh, your girl got a bit of a, you know, few pennies and pounds through that, Paul. Um, I'm going <laughs> to confirm to you how much, but definitely I have not been on ramping fiat to buy my funny little JPEGs. I'll tell you that right now. Um, look, for all the builders out there, bring back 
airdrop season it's probably what the industry right needs right now you know it, i know it's much easier said than being done but of course that drop was flawlessly executed by people at ens but what's reassuring that builders recognize what needs to be worked on right from that very conversation that ash had authorization social recovery the true layer we're not thinking about this we're already using the products but people recognize the the user face of these tech that's out there already so i can listen to the ethereum foundation all day developers that know that code is law and if you have the ability to write a page to change history right now yeah for the problem solvers who are tremendously excited about this space you know this space is going nowhere integration is happening and the idea to onboard web3 to billions is very much becoming a reality especially in the heart of san francisco you go to a developers or coders conference they don't even question if this is a thing it's just about how to make it easier period I believe, Elaine, actually, you have something else to add regarding some breaking news. Yeah, um, my God, as I was listening to this and, you know, it's never a normal day in crypto unless things like just break left, right and center over on Twitter. Bitcoin Archive uh, says that Telegram is to build a cryptocurrency exchange and non-custodial wallets. You can see right now that Coindesk is definitely running that headline right now and the ceo uh pavel durov pavel i believe has said that this is going to happen and telegram obviously is a really heavy messaging app amongst the crypto community a hundred percent and just for historical reference a little disclaimer here uh at real vision we are not right now shilling or promoting nor coinbase nor ens this is not financial advice so take this information like for informational or educational purposes only. I think that's very important just to disclaim right now because sometimes when we talk about X or Y or Z exchange, just to bring you the latest developments, it might be taking like we're shilling or promoting. D Y O S R. NFA. So just for historical reference, it's this is recorded now. It will be on the internet forever. So thank you, Elaine, for being with me today. It's a pleasure doing the show with you as always. It was fun, Paul. Was fun. All right. Very, very spicy with you always. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my. <laughs> That's it for today. This episode of the Crypto Daily Briefing is sponsored by the Crypto App. The Crypto App is your place for all things crypto. Download the Crypto App today on Google Play or iOS App Store. Tomorrow, we've got Ethereum enthusiast and Dharma Capital co-founder Andrew Keys, as well as the friend of the show, the always great Santiago Vélez. Yo, hey. you don't want to miss that. See you at noon Eastern time, 5 p.m. in London, live on the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. See you tomorrow. Bye. <laughs>